Welcome to the semi-regular podcast by Seth and Ron. This podcast is for you, our teams. We want to share stuff that we're learning and growing through that we think will help you serve God and others. I'm Ron Hudson, the lead pastor at Calvary Baptist Church. And I'm Seth Frank, the campus minister for Moorhead Christian Student Fellowship at Moorhead State University. Today we're picking a part two of the Orange Tour conversation, and we're going to start with Seth talking about whether or not competition is healthy or not. Here's Seth. Uh, see, I, I don't think that competition has to inherently have the comparison part of it. And it, and I know that sounds paradoxical. And what I mean by that is when, when I talk about comparison, what I mean is I'm comparing myself to you or you to another person and deciding which person is actually worthwhile. Yeah. Um, which person is worth love, which person is being, is worth being cared for. Um, and in competition, I don't think that has to be there that only the winner and part that's part of our culture. That's part of what I've dealt with so hard with trying to figure out competition is I've always said, whoever wins is the one that is most, most worthy of love. Um, whoever wins is the most worthy of being cared for. And so then when you're saying that you say this, it's not like this outward, like belief that you just teach everyone. You're saying this is like a subconscious feeling inside of you that you have to wrestle with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the one that I, it's how I figured out how am I loved? Am I loved? Oh, to get love, I got to win this. (laughs) Right. So I will play full out um, because winning means you're worthy. Right. Um, but what if we were able to create competition where even the ones who lose know that they're still worthy, they have the image of God in them, um, and therefore they are worth everything. And the fact that they were willing to play, the fact that they were willing to get up, and even if they fail, um, they still get rewarded for failing, um, is I think part of what takes the comparison part of it outside of competition. So maybe, maybe if we make competition about discovery, yeah. um, then and curiosity, and I think that's that's really what this phase talks nice. about is, is really in just amplifying the curiosity and saying, okay, you should you should do this because you'll discover something about yourself, and you may discover something about God um, if you engage in the universe around you, if you engage in whatever is interesting to you you'll discover something about yourself and hopefully you discover something about the character of God. And so building that in and saying, okay, it's all right. And one of the things we're doing um, as a church with another church in town, um, an Easton community center, and uh, it's uh, Jim Engle over at the Lutheran church, but um, it's called the Wells program. And we're taking students outdoors and teaching character qualities through outdoors. It's middle school age. And, We've done whitewater rafting, kayaking, and then yesterday was biking. And yes, and like each each activity we've done, there's been students that have excelled and students that have not. There's been the the front of the pack and like the back, 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 back of the pack. And our message to them is, hey, you tried this thing and you're discovering something about, hey, where you're gifted or what things you enjoy. But it doesn't really matter if you're like first or last, you know, on this activity. 
what matters is that you tried, that you experienced something and you discovered something about yourself um, that's going to help you know where you should pursue and where you should plug in and things you might enjoy. I think if we could do more of that, um, that's, that's really good. Um, And I think as Christians, we can fall into this trap of winning is everything. And, you know, like, let's not give a trophy to every kid. And, and, and I think that's a little different. I think it's okay to give a trophy to the winners. I think that's, that's awesome. But, you know, now looking at this preschool age of am I safe and embracing, um, I don't know when we need to start teaching these lessons of achievement and preschool might not be the age of just flat out saying like they don't understand competition. They don't understand winning and losing and they probably don't even understand the rules of the game and that there is a score <laughs> necessarily, but they will understand that there is a score when those kids get trophies and we don't like, so <laughs> like, just obviously whatever happened, we weren't enough. Um, like, so that, that could be the lesson that's being taught. So maybe they should all get it. I don't know. I'm, I'm rethinking some of these things um, as I look through these phases and kind of interpret how I should, how I should treat kids and interact with students at these different phases. But yeah, I think the competition thing, and even more so, not just in students, in my own heart, I have to fight the comparison trap. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast recently. It was a pastor. He was talking about the most depressing thing, the, the biggest reason that causes depression in ministry people is comparison. Because I'm looking at how many people were at my church and I'm wondering if we beat the church down the road. I'm wondering if our kids' ministry program is better. I'm wondering how we compare to such and such. And if I, that's going to happen in my heart and in my head unless I proactively fight against it unless I am intentional about dealing with it. And if I let that run rampant in my mind, then next thing you know, my value will rise and fall because if if I get to feel really good about great attendance on Sunday, that means I have to feel really, really bad when one Sunday half of our members decide to go on vacation. That also means that I, I, am, I have less worth as a person because someone went on vacation. And then how am I going to start to treat people in our ministry if my self-worth is going to change when they they decide they need to get away for a weekend with their husband or their their family that's going to mess things up bad and next thing you know i'm in one of those ministry models where you got this little king ruling his own world and we don't want we don't want to create that and so our value can't rise and fall on that comparison and if we do it's going to be bad news for our whole team culture so Again, I think the big, the best way to fight it is to put everybody on your team who's doing the people you would compare yourself to, especially when it comes to ministry and following Christ. So the church down the road gets like doubles their attendance one Sunday. That's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that's more people that they have reached that now we as a team um, don't have to worry about because someone else is is reaching our city. Now we can go after some other people. And we're, we're that much closer to the goal of, of seeing God's kingdom, um, you know, displayed and sharing Christ with other people. Like, I need to learn to celebrate that and lift them up. And I do that by intentionally talking about other ministries during my message. Um, I just did this yesterday, Sunday. I intentionally mentioned, like, Mount Olivet, who's uh, building a new building, and just, like, praise them. My, my buddy Doug in, um, 
in Brownsville. He's a senior pastor there. Just just lifting him up and giving him a shout out. You know, Jason over at Faith Assembly. Just these guys are doing awesome stuff. And by intentionally praising other ministries, it shuts that thing down in my heart and says, "Well, I can't. I can't go there and compare myself." It proactively says, "You're not even going to go there, Ron." Um, and it sets the tone for me in my mind and my heart. So, um, let's say, let's move on. Let's talk about middle school and high school, and then I'm, I'll wrap up my my gun topic for the week. But um, so, middle school, they talked about the big question was, "Who do I like?" And who am I? These, um, who do I like and who am I? And it's like discovering, am I am I the kind of kid that rides bikes? Am I the kind of kid who plays video games? Am I the kind of kid who's like into hip hop? Am I, you know, do I like, uh, do I like Jordans or LeBrons? You know, like which camp am I in? And that, you know, who am I? Also, by picking the camp you're in, you're discovering who you are. Because once I pick that I'm in this camp, well, now I can look to my social group to discover my identity. So if I'm picking this group, then that means I must also do these other things. And it's such a critical junction for a sixth grader, for a, a middle school student, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, to start um, you know, really deciding who they're going to be. And for us, it's still in this discovery phase. So we have wonder, discovery, and passion. It would be in the discovery phase of um, affirm would be the keyword. Affirm their personal journey to to own their own faith and to value a faith in community. And so, really answering that question of affirming them, like you are, you are, you belong here. You are part of this group. This is your community. You are loved here. God loves you. We love God, and this is who we are as a community. And really starting to answer those questions um, in that way. And that's really why, you know, small groups are so incredibly important. I think small groups are great all along this, this spectrum. But really starting to focus on community and we are a group and having t-shirts and things that help affirm you're a part of this place. Like this is your place and this is, this is for you. Um, and then last was high school and it was the questions were where do I belong? Why should I believe? How can I matter? And what will I do? And this is moving into passion. Um, and we should really be focused on passion. And the um, they're motivated by freedom, where middle school is motivated by acceptance. High school is more motivated by freedom. And the, the key word is mobilize. Mobilize. And, with, and I've seen this with high schoolers. Don't tell them something. Um, give them an opportunity to do something and just say, hey, let's go do this in our community. Let's go serve. Why don't you run sound on Sunday morning? How about you be in the band? How about you go lead a small group of of like um, elementary school students? Go do something. Let's go serve and mobilize. You can do this. Give them the keys to the ministry is one of the things Reggie Joyner said. Um, don't hold them back. Like just say, yes, you can do this. Um you can have freedom to go tell someone about Christ and mobilize them as students. And so many times we want to sit them in a room and continue to talk to them and, and just t- tell them what to do when really what, what we should be doing is mobilizing them and giving them, you know, the keys to go do ministry. It says mobilize their potential to keep pursuing authentic faith and to discover a personal mission. Because the reality is after high school, like, they, they're going to make their own choices. They're going to go and do their own thing. 
um, this is where you come in. Like you're picking up in this uh, as a as a campus minister. You're you're getting students from in college who are coming out of youth ministries who never went to youth ministries, and you're kind of catching them at that stage. And now they're going to go do whatever they want to do. So if we start preparing them to do what they're going to do in a way that honors God, in a way that glorifies God, in a way that is, you know, aligned with the kingdom of God, then that that can be huge for when they start to, you know, that should be a filter that that colors everything that they do um, and a means of worship. Yeah, one of the key things that I see in college students who come out of churches is a severe lack of autonomy. Um, they don't know how to live out their own lives. They've been told, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Um, and they haven't had those opportunities of freedom um, to decide, I will do this instead of doing that. Um, mm. And when they get to campus and they don't have anyone that's watching over them, and no one's saying do this and not that, then they start saying, I'll try this and I'll try sure. that and I'll try this thing over here um, because finally I have freedom and I can do whatever I want. Um, and sometimes those choices are very good and they're healthy and they're beneficial. And sometimes those choices are very harmful um, and create destruction in their own lives. Yeah. But um, part of, I see the kids that are, have been shown autonomy, um, that have been trained in autonomy, are the kids that come here and they don't get trapped in uh, the rebellion. And eh, I don't really like the word rebellion. I don't know that that's true. Um, but they don't get trapped in the, the temptations um, to go and the try vices. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, the vices. Um, because... They've been training in, this is who I am. I want to do this. I will do this. And and so it's it's already set for them. Yeah, and I've started that as a parent, even with my young kids now. Like, they're six and nine, and it's already, they'll ask a question. Like, hey, can I have iPad in bed? Or can I do this? And I'll say, okay, um, let's talk about... Um, what time do you think you should go to bed? You know, well, I don't have much to do tomorrow, but we do have a soccer game at like nine. So, um, Hey, can you guys shut everything off and be, and go to sleep at 10? Can you do that? Like you can bedtime's eight 30, but you can hang out and have maybe iPad in bed or whatever goof off until 10 o'clock, but in your bed, you know, with the lights out and then at 10 o'clock, can you shut it down and go to sleep? Um, and they'll, say yeah yeah oh totally we could do that i'm like okay but so it, i'm giving you a responsibility here like this is a freedom you have and i'll we'll see how it goes if you can honor this then that's great if you can't then you know we'll understand that you can't handle this yet because you're starting to give them all right i have a choice here like i can choose to go to bed at this time or i can choose to stay up and the consequences are are not a big deal the consequences are they're going to be grumpy tomorrow like it's not it's not you're going to fail this class you know it's it's this is going to cost you $2000 because you failed this class or this semester it's you're going to be grumpy at soccer tomorrow and so 
they'll make the they'll make the right choice or they'll make the wrong choice and then you know they lose privileges or whatever but they start to understand okay i have the right to decide here i could choose this and this is what happens when i decide wrong it's starting to put into place um jake just got some money the other day someone gave like handed him a 20 dollar bill i went to a job and um, he had to come along with me and the guy's like, here you go, buddy, you know, go get some lunch for you and your dad or something. And Jake's six years old. And he got $20. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so rich. <laughs> so we're at Staples, you know, getting a part and he's like, can I buy this? And he's got like Tic Tacs. And I'm like, I don't know. Is that what you want to spend your money on? He's like, yeah. So, uh, so he buys it. And then, um, you know, he takes it up to the register and I had to like answer all these questions on the phone because like I was using our Staples card and they needed to update the address and all this stuff. And he's like, his eyes are getting big. He's like, am I going to have to do all that to buy this? Like, <laughs> it's hilarious. I'm like, no, no, no. So he goes up and he hands him the money and he's like, what's going on here? And then the guy gives him like all this money back, like gives him like like millions of dollars back in his mind. And he's six years old, you know, and he's like. I could buy lots of stuff, <laughs> but we get to the car, you know, and I said, okay, Jake. Um, and he's like, can we go get like, buy more stuff, you know? And I'm like, yeah, we could do that, but Hey, let's, let's manage our money. Well, so we should save some and you need to give some to God, you know, and you need to save some, and then you need to decide to give some away. So we're going to give some to God. We're going to save some, and then you should share some because just cause you got this doesn't mean it's all yours to spend on yourself. You should start to understand that you are a steward of this and this is yours to do good with. And so I was so proud of him. We got home and the next day Luke had five bucks and Lee, my wife's like, where'd you get that? And he's like, Jake gave it to me. And she's like, where'd Jake get money? <laughs> he's six. And Jake had given Lucas $5. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I just, He's six years old and he's already understanding. I need to share what I have. Um, and, you know, we can underestimate kids, but he's he's getting it. So, you know, that's high school. That's mobilizing students. Um, you know, the phases are not meant to be endured. We can think that sometimes with middle schoolers or preschoolers or whatever. It's like, oh, I just got to get through this until they're old enough so I can teach them something really valuable. Um, no, the phases are meant to be embraced and enjoyed. Um, and if we understand where the student is, then we could just relax and enjoy that stage of life and that phase of life and just teach them and engage with them in that understanding they're going to grow through it and it's going to be okay. And I think as, and this is a big takeaway that I had, um, as a ministry leader, sometimes I feel, um, sometimes I feel more effect, like sometimes, let me see, how did I put this? Um, sometimes I care more about how effective I feel rather than how effective I actually am and how effective I feel is oftentimes measured by what phase I am in as an individual rather than the phase that my disciplee or the person I'm mentoring or the student that I'm engaging with is in. And I have to be very careful that I'm not filtering their choices and their stage of growth through where I'm at as a person and saying, man, if I don't get them to get this lesson, then I'm failing as a discipler. And I, this goes back to the comparison. This goes back to um, filtering how we're doing in ministry through our own insecurities. 
which is such a trap and is so dangerous and creates just toxic ministry environments. So I need to be careful that I don't, that how effective I feel needs to be based on whether or not we're actually winning with them in the phase. Did that preschooler leave feeling like he was embraced and he was in a safe place and he got some, some like cookies and he learned in his eyes, he had some like big eye moments where his eyes bugged out of his head because he was like, wow, that's so cool. Uh, with middle schoolers, did they feel like they were a part of something that night? Maybe they didn't learn this theological point or this big verse about God, but they felt like, man, this is my place. That could be winning. With high schoolers, you know, maybe did they did they mobilize? Did they take action? Did they take ownership? Yeah, they maybe they did it in a way that I wouldn't have, or they didn't execute as skillfully, or it was not exactly the way I wanted it done, but did they take ownership and do it? I could feel successful in that. Um, and when we're mentoring people and growing, we just have to be really careful that that we, we base the effectiveness on the stage that our disciple is in rather than our own feelings about how effective we feel because of some, you know, picture or vision that we have in our head of, you know, all these people doing all these amazing things. And instead, take a big breath, relax, and realize God's got this. There's a, there's a process of growth. It takes time, and it's okay to be in a certain phase and to just enjoy that moment. Because if we don't, we'll miss it. And then I spend my whole life, um, like that movie with uh, Jim Carrey, like Click. I think it was called Click, and he could fast forward through life. And he just fast forwarded to get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And he realized he, he just wasted and spent his whole life just fast forwarding. And as a leader, I can do that sometimes if I'm not careful. And so we just need to be careful. I, I don't know. I would love to, uh, to hear your thoughts on that, Seth, um, with your team and with college students on bearing with people. And, and that, I mean, that's Ephesians chapter four, um, serving answering the calling, walking worthy of the, the high calling we have in Christ uh, in our vocation, uh, doing it humbly, doing it uh, gent- with gentleness, um, patience, bearing and bearing with one another. And I think that talks all about this walking with people where they're at in a way that honors God. Yeah, just recently, um, just recently we talked about um, love is patient um, in our, our group and one of the things I realized is that I've never understood what patience is um, because wow. I've always seen patience as a necessary evil. Yeah. If I'm having to be patient, it's because the person or the thing I love isn't around me right now. And if the thing or person I love isn't around me like right now, that's just proof that the world is broken. And so I have to <laughs> endure that the world is broken um, until it's made right and I'm with that person or whatever I love. Um, part of what I've realized the patience is, is not just the, the ability to not whine in those cases when the world is broken um, and not complain and, and, you know, be petulant. When love is patient, that doesn't mean that I just sit here quietly and don't do anything. When love is patient, it means that it's practicing, it's practicing faith that things will be made right, that I will get to be with that person that I love, 
um, that things that God is working in the world to make all things right. And so my patience is the practicing of that faith. And when we're in these situations with these phases, um, sometimes what we need to do is practice that faith that God is working in this person to make them right. Um, yeah. I can't, if I sit and try to fix all of the things with, that is wrong with them right now, that's never going to work. A, because I can't fix everything. Um, right. No matter how much the world is broken, I just want to rule it. <laughs> that isn't going to fix it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it just takes time and it takes enduring uh, with the person. And it takes that faith that God is at work to make even them right. God is at work to make even me right. Yeah. And Reggie Joyner so said this. He said, um, don't expect people to follow God until you treat them like they are made in the image of God. And uh, just that patience, that faith, that hope that the image of God is is on this person. And if they've if they're a believer, that the Holy Spirit of God is in this person and directing them and that God has this. And I'm just a little part in God's plan for this person's life, not the other way around. It's not that God is a little part in my plan for this person's life, you know, that, that ruling the world thing you're talking about. It's, it's, I am a little part in God's plan for this person's life. And I need to embrace that peace and be patient and really just take a deep breath and relax and chill out because it's not on me, whether they grow at a certain pace through a certain phase. Um, it's on me to be faithful to my part in the phase in a way that honors God by being humble, gentle, patient, and, um, and bearing with this person during this phase. Um, and that's what I want. That's what I want people to do for me. I've said it many times, you know, um, I think a church, you know, if a church expects a pastor or a minister to bear with them, through their faults and failures and growth process, then a church should bear with their pastor through their faults and failures and growth process. And it's the same with students and teachers. And it's not that we we blur lines of accountability and responsibility, but it's it's understanding we are all growing towards God in that, you know, in a broken world and being made right and being restored and just relaxing that God's got this and we're all just a part of this process. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the team podcast, the podcast specifically for the Calvary Baptist Church team and the Moorhead Christian Student Fellowship team. We're so glad that you listened. You can find all the stuff about Seth on Twitter at Seth underscore Frank, Facebook.com slash Seth dot H dot Frank or the um, MCSF.is website. You can find all the stuff I'm doing at PastorHudson.com. Um, if you find this helpful, let us know, leave a comment on the page and our church website is yourcbcfamily.org. Love you guys. And thank you for serving. <laughs>